0: Welcome to another episode of Kendall vs. Kendall from the Sea Otter Classic. I'm your co-host, Jeff Kendall-Weed, and our other host, Seth Kendall, is not able to make it to the otter. So, luckily, I'm joined by Jacob McGahee of Industry 9.
1: Jacob, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Doing great. Excited to be here at Sea Otter and uh, looking forward to uh, catching up with uh, Jeff today. (laughs) Excellent. Well, Industry
0: 9 is a pretty well-known, pretty well-established brand, and I think we should start this off with chatting about some of the product. So lots of folks are very curious about the new Hydra hub
1: set. So what was the impetus for designing the Hydra hub set? So the uh, Hydra system uh, you know, kind of sprung from two different directions. Uh, um, you know, number one is uh, we certainly uh, watched uh, a lot of companies have been, have been uh, you know, playing catch-up for a while, but with some really cool, innovative hub designs that... Uh, um, you know, we're next level of uh, higher engagement versus our Torch Series product, and and uh, certainly we uh, we've always felt like a really high engagement hub offers a great performance benefits. Um, so as as we uh, started to kind of look at options to uh, improve the engagement on our system, um, we uh, we also wanted to kind of go after. Uh, both the engagement uh, side, of the, side of things, but also durability. Okay, so that was a, bi- a big factor for us: is uh, how do we get a higher engagement hub system without uh, decreasing the durability? In our first generation product, um, we had two sets of three Pauls that would be uh, that were phased. So with a sixty-tooth drive ring, um, and in uh, the phasing, you basically double your engagement points from sixty to one hundred and twenty. So um, the six poles, three are on one
0: phase and three on the other phase. So while uh, one set is engaging, the other set is in between poles, and then
1: if you pedal a little bit, the other one will. Yeah, catch absolutely. Gotcha. So you've got a set engage and the other set's uh, waiting in the wings, so to speak. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah To to jump into action. Um, so the uh, but one of the things we uh, we realize as we're doing doing the, going through development process and testing and just what we're seeing in the field is essentially with the with our first generation product which was a ph- uh, phase engagement the higher your engagement are, uh, is uh, once you factor in flex and um you know systems you know it, it, when you're on the bike the reality is that you know th- that everything's moving uh, all the materials whether it's carbon aluminum steel every material flexes it you know they essentially when you from an engineering standpoint um you know, metal functions the same way that a fluid does it just okay. is a much much different structure obviously yeah. um but it's all moving and uh and so, occasionally, with the uh, with our first generation product, you actually, as the system flexes, instead of having all three poles engage at once, um, one pole could drop into the drive ring, and if you started pedaling at that exact moment, you'd only have one pole taking the load. And uh, if you think about the the the, uh, the likelihood of that happening, the higher number of engagement you you have, um, you know, the 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 more likely it is that occasionally you we'll get the single pole engagement. So, if you take if we were just to, to have added a bunch of extra teeth to our drive system on the torch. Um, we would have started bumping into some some uh, durability reliability issues because when you do have a single pole engagement, it creates a a big cantilever load on your bearing system and on your free hub. Yeah, because it's just on one side of the axle; it's not got an
0: an opposing force on the other side.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the uh, the hydra system was really the brainchild of Clint, our uh, our owner. He's uh, he's brilliant when it comes to uh, drivetrain mechanics, and uh, you know kind of started looking at some some options that we could. Um, both increase engagement, but also eliminate that risk of having a single ball. So the cool. way the Hydra uh, approaches the system is, is actually because we know that flex exists in the system, we're essentially using the inherent flex that you have in materials um, uh, to our advantage. So the Hydra system, it's a 115-tooth drive ring with uh, si- with six balls, as we had on the torch. But the difference is instead of them being phased in groups, they're all individually phased. Oh, wow. So uh, essentially, if you can think about uh, you know, the the distance of one uh, one tooth, which is you know, it's less than a millimeter, basically between from one tooth to another on the on the Hydra setup, uh, along that millimeter of uh, of movement that it takes to get for, for one paw to click over, you actually have six staggered paws. and because they're so close together, um, um, as you as you uh, start to pedal, you're always going to have one paw that's just dropped into the drive ring, but the Following two poles, our uh, second Paul is less than two sheets of a paper away. Oh wow! So if it flexes a little, bit, when it flexes a little bit, not if
0: those will catch in and
1: engage and give you some more support. Absolutely. So cool. the second and third poles start to take that load, and uh, oh, and it wow. basically triangulates with the you know the whole system yeah. al- allows that eccentric flex to uh, to distribute the load evenly, and uh, it'll cool. never exceed the, the load capacity of the bearing. Never you know it can never never actually. Uh, damage anything in the system, so it's uh, not only a, uh, a more more durable system, but it's also uh, because it's 115 tooth driving with six indi- independently phased uh, poles. You end up with a uh, 690 points of engagement, so a half wow. degree versus our first generation, which was a three degree engagement.
0: So when I went from the torch, which my torch hubs have had quite a bit of use all through the Pacific Northwest winters, all over the globe as well, they're working. Fantastically, I've got no problems with them. But when I got that brand new Hydra hub a few weeks ago and took it for the first ride, I was blown away at how little drag it had. To me, it felt like it had less drag when you're freewheeling compared to the older Torch hub. Am I just a factor of an old hub versus a new one, or is it actually a lower rolling resistance, lower drag setup in regards
1: to when it's freewheeling? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, uh, um, it is actually lower drag than the uh, the Torch system. And, is that because
0: uh, the actual pawl or the engagement teeth are shorter, so the spring is moving less?
1: That's actually uh definitely one of the reasons is is in, in that's astute that you uh, you notice that, but um yeah, the teeth themselves, uh because there's a higher tooth count, the teeth are uh are smaller okay um so the so the paw itself uh, travels less you know it, it doesn't articulate quite as much uh with 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 each uh, click, so to speak. Um, but also because we're not trying to fight to get all, you know, to ensure that all three poles are jumping into the paw pockets at once, we were able to reduce the spring pressure as well. Ah, um, so okay. the spring pressure on the hydro system is a little bit lower than the torch. So the combination of those two factors uh, does yield a little, a uh, little lower drag than the, than the torch series product. Cool.
0: When I hopped on the Hydra, I was like, all right, I've got a new hub. This thing's probably going to be sweet and wasn't sure how I'd notice the differences. But I'd noticed that first and foremost. The engagement is definitely right there, right underneath you. I've got that pretty fast pedaling cadence style. So for me, it, it was definitely a nice thing to have that hub on there. And I wasn't sure if it was just new hub syndrome because it definitely <laughs> felt nice back there. But this sounds like the kind of thing where if I were to go from the Hydra back to an older hub, like, say, more of a stock hub from another brand from years ago, that's only, like, 24 points of engagement. I feel like that these leaps of innovation and improvement will become more and more noticeable. Um, I want to ask about the spokes, because I remember seeing Industry 9 wheels with the aluminum spokes, gosh, over 10 years ago. Those have been around for quite some time. So what was the impetus? Were you at Industry 9 when those... First coming around?
1: No, uh, um, I started a few years later. So, okay. the, um, Clint, the uh, owner, uh, launched the company commercially. Was launched in 2005, started selling product uh, um, in the marketplace. But you know, the, the initial design uh, concepts, you know, started back in uh, I think as early as 2003. They were already wow. starting to work on 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 the uh, brand. It was kind of a uh, side project for Clint, coming from a manufacturing background. Yeah. Uh, um, but the uh, the the real impetus. For the uh, spokes, initially it was you know because of the machine shop background, um, you know once they developed the hub hub ideas, like well how can we turn this into a whole system and and optimize everything, so they they actually. Uh, initially, uh, started looking at doing an aluminum spoke that actually had a basically a bolt at the very end that threaded into it, um, sort of intrude more like a traditional wheel. Um, aluminum
0: spoke w- with the bolts. So the bolts on the rim end or on the hub end? It was on
1: the rim end. The rim end. Okay. Um, but then they you know, once they started looking at it the way the system worked, kind of realized that you could essentially just turn the whole spoke into a one long screw. Um, that comes in from the rim side. And that gives you a couple different benefits. Number one, you're getting rid of the redundant material you you have with a nipple and a spoke. Uh, But it also eliminates the the, uh, two primary weak spots that you have with a traditional uh, steel spoke. And those are, uh, number one, on a steel spoke, which, you know, they're serviceable, great product, been around for a long time. Uh, There's nothing inherently wrong with a steel spoke, but there are some areas where they are are a little bit weaker. Number one, the... uh, root diameter of the threads on a, on a uh, traditional steel spoke, um, that, that diameter is actually going to be smaller than the surrounding material, and it also creates that natural V at the base of those, those threads, so yeah. that basically that first thread on a steel spoke becomes a uh, natural stress riser, and it's also a smaller diameter than the surrounding material, so over uh, repeated fatigue cycles, it you know, might take several years, it might take a few months depending on the, the you know, riding style, um, they will have a tendency to eventually fail. Um, so the benefit of making a machined alloy spoke—we're uh, actually making these spokes 100% in-house—is that they actually the uh, the root diameter of the 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 uh, spoke, or I'm sorry, the threads on the spoke were were designed from the ground up to be larger than the surrounding material. We also, uh, um, which is sim- in some ways similar to a steel spoke, we also roll the threads into these so it aligns the grain structure, but the. The, uh, the thread area of our, our, our spokes ends up actually being stronger than the surrounding material, so it gets rid of that natural weak point in the spoke. Uh, the other big benefit is because it's a straight-pull sp- uh, spoke and it does thread directly into the hub shell, um, you're eliminating the uh, traditional J-bend you have in, yeah. in most, uh, most wheels. So that, that bend in that, uh, in, uh, you have in a normal, uh, normal wheel. One, it's another area where it, that creates a stress riser, but also you essentially have a ball-and-socket arrangement where the system can flex our alloy spoke, uh, benefits from the elongation properties of the material itself, but also because it's anchored directly in the hub shell, it actually, uh, adds some, some, uh, bending stiffness to the system because, you know, the spoke is, is stiffer, um, in, in, bending loads than, uh, the nutritional seal spoke and it can't pivot at the hub. So you just have a much more, an, a stiffer and a more precise system and, um, and it's all designed to work together in unison.
0: Yeah, it felt great. Honestly, the, um, the set of wheels I got before the Puerto Rico video shoot was the first time I'd ridden Industry Nine spokes, and it was great. I had a, a day and a half setting that whole bike up like that, and it felt really good. I thought, I was honestly a little concerned it was going to be so stiff, it'd be hard to get traction on off-camera stuff, and it wasn't at all the case. I was pleasantly surprised. The bike felt way more planted underneath me. I noticed it quite a bit in corners, and it felt like when I was sprinting out of corners when there's a lot of like twisting forces on the bike that things are just more efficient and more precise. And it, it felt great. I liked it. That was cool. Um, Awesome. There, we could probably go on and on about the tech stuff. Um, I'm honestly more interested in mountain biking as a lifestyle. I love the bikes. I love the tech stuff. That's key. But the big driver for me in the mountain bike industry is the lifestyle aspect behind it. And there's so many interesting characters in the sport that have not just like had a brief encounter with the industry, but have been lifelong industry veterans. And before that, they often had a racing pedigree or a very strong passion for the bike. So I think that's something really cool. And when I was in Asheville and toured the facility, this was a few years ago now, but that was a pretty big facility, but at the same time, it was also very mountain bikey. I mean, tell me about the facility. You guys have what in the backyard? A pump track, dirt jumps?
1: Yeah, absolutely, we've got a a great pump track uh, right outside of the building. Um, That was actually developed. Our our staff essentially all designed and built that. Our lead on that was uh, uh, Joe Haley, who's our international sales manager, and he's actually a, f- a former pro uh, downhill racer in dual slalom. Finished top three national championships in dual slalom, I think in the early 2000s if i remember correct.ly um, And uh, yeah, so it's, it, we have a you know really talented staff on hand, but also it, you know really really folks who are really motivated to ride their bikes on a regular basis. I think it's something we pride ourselves in. Is um, you know we our business is separated into two sides: manufacturing side mm-hmm. and the Industry Nine LLC side, shared ownership. But out of our yeah, our industry nine staff of 40 something employees, almost every single person rides really regularly. That's awesome.
0: That's super cool.
1: So for you, mountain biking's definitely a passion and
0: your prior positions at Trek, Bontrager and then this what position and what what brand has given you the most satisfaction as you look back upon the last however many years you've been
1: within the industry. That's a good question. I mean, my my job in Industry Nine is quite honestly a dream job. I you know, I, when I worked for uh for Trek, uh, mm-hmm. they're a great company to work for. Amazing staff, and uh, um, you know, had some great communication with the product managers there. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they were a, a great company to work for. But I think one of the things that's really special to me about Industry Nine is we're a small company. We're nimble. We're, we're making almost all of our uh, uh, you know dollar and labor content and manufacturing is conducted in house, and so we can really uh, really be very creative in a way that and fast moving in a way that a larger yeah. company can't. Um, so it's, it's, I have to pinch myself on a regular basis. I live less than a mile away from work. I basically roll down the hill on my bike to work every day, and, uh, and awesome. yeah, have the opportunity to work with just an amazing, amazing staff of both our engineering, manufacturing staff, but also our, our production staff and sales team, and everyone's just super positive and passionate.
0: So another thing I want to ask about, back when I was at IBIS and we were looking at various hub options, I remember people very important people saying it's extremely hard to build a good hub. If we were ever going to make a bike component, a hub would probably be the last one next to a suspension fork. And I guess dropper seat posts would also be in that category of very difficult to engineer parts. But um, we thought it was amazing that a company based in the U.S., manufacturing in the U.S., would be able to compete with the Asian and European hub suppliers. So what is it like to be, you know, 40 some odd employees? That's not a huge company, not tiny either. That's a legit company. But... How does it feel to be a company of that size competing with these behemoths like DT Swiss, Shimano, SRAM, in one of the most difficult product realms?
1: Yeah, I'd say it's certainly a, um, a challenge in terms of, you know, as we continue to scale our business. But I think the big benefit we have is so, you know, I mentioned that, you know, we've got uh, you know, around 45 employees on Industry 9 LLC side. Well, our manufacturing facility um, is another forty uh, uh, you know, something employees, and we're about at this point we've scaled up. When I started there, we were about ten percent of their business. So they do contract work for other companies, um, everything from aerospace to uh, you know to uh, you know, small volume projects. A couple years ago, doing some parts for McLaren's race program, for instance. Um, but uh, we're at seventy percent of their business now, so wow. we have a pretty big footprint. They've got over cool. c- over one hundred CNC machines there, um, and uh, and just a wealth of experience. I think one of the things that really allows us to to uh, um, be innovative uh, in, in a way that you know, maybe a, a complete uh, only a bike industry focused company uh, can't be is that uh we have we have these side projects that we're doing um in in, in industries that uh our owner, for instance, for, uh one of the one of the other eight companies that they started. Uh, long story on that one, but uh, industry nine is actually a, the, ninth. Uh, the ninth company that Peter <laughs> his dad started. Uh cool. but w- w- for instance was a robotics company and they yeah, were congrats. making robots that made other robots. A so really complex uh that's um, like reverse machinery. cannibalism, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh um, so they have this experience in all these other areas of manufacturing, um, and they can kind of—it kind of allows them to think outside of the box—and yeah. and allows Clint and our, our and our and our manufacturing team to to approach problems from a really different way than someone who's only looked at bike parts um, for for most of their career. Uh, yeah. So I think that's really one of the one of the key things, and also just uh, knowing you know knowing how to effectively and efficiently machine things, um, you know, and having 50 years of experience on that end. Uh, allows us to incorporate that into our design process. So when, when our engineers are designing products and, and Clint, our owners, uh designing prod- products, we're designing them from a performance standpoint. But we're also designing them with manufacturing in mind from the get-go. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a, I think, a, a really key advantage we have and allows us to, to produce a product in the U.S. That's very, very reliable, but is also cost-effective because we're, we're designing from both ends of the spectrum.
0: Well, I've got a lot of friends that work in the aerospace side of things, and they come up to me like, how come bikes, how come, how come they cost so much? How come it's so hard to get them? And it's like, well, like they talk about their experience with aerospace carbon, and it's like, yes, but you have unlimited budget, and you only need to make one item. Whereas in the bike industry, we need to make lots of items and at sporting goods prices. So that's a huge challenge. And honestly, there's been a few other hub manufacturers that have come and gone and since Industry 9 was founded in, what, 2005? Yeah, I can mean, think of a yeah. handful, and I think the manufacturing capacity is probably what made Industry Nine stick around for this amount of time. That's super cool. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And I think the other thing is that uh, um, you know our, our ownership team, uh, Clinton and his dad, are both really, uh, really willing to invest mm-hmm. in uh, in the company. They're not afraid to buy new machines. You know, when when there's when the demand's there, and, and uh, you know, it's definitely t- we're all in when it comes to uh, to taking care of our customers. And I think, and we also. Uh, at the same time, we're, you know, we're, we're not, uh, you know, we're always honest with with ourselves and honest with our, our customers. And, you know, we make sure we're not going to, we're not going to overcommit ourselves in an area that we can't uh, can't deliver. So uh, I think it's, a, it's it ends up being a, a great relationship.
0: Cool. So in 20 years, say, I don't know if Industry 9 will be here in 20 years or not, no idea, but assuming it is, what do you want the legacy of Industry 9 to be?
1: I think uh, one of the Big goals I have for our brand is uh, you know we we obviously want to make great product and we'd love to have our product on as, as as many bikes as as we can but we also realize that we're not going to be willing to cut corners and we uh, we also want to want to maintain uh, a real viability as an aftermarket company like we want to be a product that people want to upgrade their their wheels to we're, you know so our goal is not to be you know not to be a ubiquitous hub that's on every single bike out there in the marketplace. Because um, you know, the reality is, we we realize if we want to try to do that, we're going to have to cut some corners. We have yeah. to figure out how to make things cheaper, and and uh, and and along with that, and we'll probably you, know, you end up giving up reliability, and and, uh, and you're going to have to when you cut corners, you compromise, and when you compromise, you have issues in the field. And your custom, you know, you lose your customer base, and and we're not willing to make those shortcuts. That's awesome.
0: And then final question. Um, I have experience on the OEM si- sales side of things from my time at WTB. And Industry 9 is definitely a very highly respected OEM supplier to, say, Santa Cruz, to Ibis, to some other brands. I'm sure there's been some that have come and gone. I'm sure that there's more in the future. So if there's this strong drive for the aftermarket side of things, how has it been growing the OEM side, and what strategies have you used to help that also foster the
1: aftermarket business? I would think uh, In terms of the OEM market, I think the, the key is, uh, is is offering a, a quality product and being able to deliver. mean, um, I think that's one of the things that... We've gotten great feedback from our OEM partners that, uh, we're easy to work with, you know, when, when, you know, we, when our orders are placed, we're going to deliver on time. Yeah. Um, but I think the other thing for us is we really want to partner with brands that, that, that mean something to us. You know, our goal is not to be on every single bike out there, yeah. as I mentioned earlier. And, uh, you know, a company like, uh, um, like Ibis, a company like Santa Cruz, you know, they're, they're, they're companies that are making amazing bikes. Um, and, uh. And yeah, we, we, we love the idea of, of being partnered with companies that are making bikes that, that uh, kind of st- are progressing the, the sport forward. Um, you know, kind of kind of taking things to the next level. I've had many people with lots of experience tell me you simply cannot
0: make OEM <laughs> price point product in the United States, let alone North America and here's industry nine this not necessarily that small, but very, very mighty company with a proven track record of doing exactly that. So I love how you guys have gone and proven so many people
1: completely wrong. I think that's super cool. Well, thanks. I certainly <laughs> appreciate it, and uh, and, and certainly I, I won't say it's easy, but uh, yeah. at the same time, it's uh it's an exciting challenge. You know, our goal, uh, you know, is to you know to you know to keep on trying to grow our company, and uh, but do it do it in a way that's sustainable. That you know that we we can also keep our core customers in mind, and and uh, and also maintain our strong partnerships with our with our OE partners. You know, I think it's it's. Yeah, uh, the really the cycling cycling industry and and uh and in riding in general I feel like so much of it's yeah, the riding and products is great, but it's really all about relationships. Totally. You know, having relationships with with people and companies that have, sh- share a similar vision uh to you, I mean, it just adds so much to the sport. Certainly adds so much to to uh, you know just the riding experience. I think anyone can relate to the fact that yeah it's great to go ride by yourself and, and uh, be out in the woods with some headphones on or something like that. But uh, you know, going out with your buddies and and getting to experience you know the full spectrum of riding in, in the context of your you know your 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 social uh you know social community means a lot. And I feel like that's a parallel with with working in the cycling industry. You know it's just exciting to uh, to be able to share share that passion with other companies. And uh, and hopefully go visit visit these companies and go ride with them and and you know, realize that at the root of it all we're all we're all enthusiasts we're all cyclists you know th- there's a reason that we ended up in this industry we love bikes we love riding bikes and and uh, we just love what it does for for our for our life experience it's something you can do your entire life and uh, it just really really is a something you can attach meaning to your life too and and uh, it's kind of a foundation for uh, for everything else that happens. Awesome,
0: those are very true words. I love that. I think that would be a great closing note right there.
1: All right. <laughs> Excellent. Jacob, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm excited to uh, be working with you this year, Jeff, and, uh, you know, really excited to have you on our, our product. I also really appreciate uh, the projects you're doing with Advocacy this year. I think nice. that's you know, we were really inspired by that, uh, um, you know, watching your videos last year. And the reality is that, you know, without, uh, without trails, uh, you know, are, uh, all this nice fancy equipment is meaningless. So, I mean, the the, uh, the root of it is uh, is you know is having that experience in the woods. The product is secondary to that, and uh, and the fact that you're you know trying to promote that that side of the sport is really uh, really impressive and really Thank you. Uh, really exciting. <laughs> Thank you. We have
0: this great marketing engine in the bike industry. Let's use it to help grow ourselves. And <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's been great having you on the podcast, Jacob. I appreciate your time today. Everyone, thanks for joining us here on Kendall vs. Kendall. Seth Kendall will be joining us for regular episodes in a few more weeks here. And on that note, stay tuned for monthly episodes. And this is Jeff Kendall with Signing off.